0: This is your host, Eric Fleming, and um, we're here with another moment with Eric Fleming. I have not really just kind of had a particular thing to talk about, but... um, Couple of things have happened from a business standpoint, and I guess I want to talk about those two things and just kind of um, make a point from there. So, one of the things that you Oh, by the way, uh, as I'm recording this, um, Atlanta is about to shut down again. Um, it's about to the metro area um the cities that comprise the Metro Atlanta area have not gone to that extreme. At least not as I'm recording this, but um, Atlanta is going back to what they call phase one. They released five phases of reopening. And so now they're back to stage one or phase one, as they call it, Uh, which basically means that nobody can go in restaurants anymore. It's just strictly takeout delivery. Uh, and only essential personnel should be, um, going to work. So, and this is, um, since we have not had a podcast, this is in light of the mayor, her husband and one of her children, um, now being diagnosed positive with COVID-19. Um. Some former colleagues of mine, including the Speaker of the House in Mississippi, he also uh, contracted it. He's doing fine, by the way. Um, as is the mayor. So the coronavirus thing has gotten gotten real again. And you know we talked about this already on this podcast, but let me just remind people, again, this is real. This really impacts African Americans and Latinos severely. And so, you know, all the stories about the elderly and all that, well, that's true. Um, And we've seen young people being young people They're not exactly practicing social distancing and discipline with the mask and all that. So, we've seen spikes. And whereas the rest of the world seems to be on a downtrend, the United States is steadily going up. It's just like hot spots pop up in different places. Um we obviously don't get it. Um oh by the way, did I mention that by the end of the month there will be basketball, baseball, soccer started today. We already got NASCAR and golf and we are already seeing athletes coming down with the virus. And football season is right around the corner. College and pro. And we've seen college kids just in practice contracting. The University of Washington, 121 students. So um, that's going on. And then another side effect of this coronavirus pandemic is today it was announced that there was a national coin shortage. Now just imagine you're in a store, you're at a restaurant and all of a sudden you hear this message saying, please customers, if you're going to use cash have exact change because there is a national coin shortage. Now I have been fortunate enough to be on this planet 55 years. Never in my life have I ever heard that phrase uttered. National coin shortage. I've never heard that before in my life. So I had to figure out, well, what exactly does that mean? So what that means is because of the pandemic, businesses, as you know, have been closed. Many of you have been impacted by that personally or indirectly as a consumer, right? So, because these businesses have been closed, money hasn't been transacting the way that it normally does. On top of that, the U.S. Mint, which actually produces the coins, has limited production, and laid-off people due to the pandemic. So, you don't have businesses open to create transactions. The Mint is not even open to create more coins. And... You have a perfect storm. Not to mention the fact that there wasn't really a whole lot of coin. Well, I didn't say a whole lot. There's been a decrease in the circulation of coins anyway, as we tend to be more prone to use paper money or even more so debit cards, right? Plastic. So the natural casualty for more use of plastic is the coin. So on top of all this other stuff you gotta worry about, now you gotta worry about having exact change when you are allowed to go to the store, if you're in Atlanta, or in restaurants, you can go to the store. Just saying, one more thing to have in your mind if you want to use cash, you got to have exact change. Don't know when that is going to end. When will the shortage be over with? I don't expect that any time within the next week. So there's that, right? But that's not really what I wanted to talk about. I mean, we already know that the president is Insane as far as how he's handling the situation. He has just went to, he's gone straight denial mode at this particular point. Like, he's telling people all over the planet, we're fine, we're good. And like I said, people I know are coming down with it. People I work with have died. People I went to school with, elementary and high, have died. So I don't know what world the president is living in, but when he when he finally returns to the one that we're in, we need him to 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 step up the game. That's what I'm gonna say. We just he just needs to step up the game at this particular point. I ain't worried about whether it'll make him look good to be reelected or anything like that. We got to get him out of denial mode. He's got to get with the program, literally. At this point, and realize that the citizens of the United States needs help. We make up now. I I literally like I think in February he had one case. One. I think when the task when he started talking about it, it was fifteen. And now we're at three million? Over three million cases. And around a hundred and fifty. 1,000 deaths, maybe more, maybe less. I haven't looked at the latest numbers, but that's staggering. When you hear that many American people dying, you think the murder rate in major cities has gone up dramatically, or we're at war. Like I said, I didn't really want to get into that i just I just need to acknowledge that that that's going on and uh, I do want to acknowledge the fact that Minister Farrakhan gave a speech on the Fourth of July. I did not. Get, I wanted to listen. I did not get a chance to, and I really have not had time. Like I said, I haven't had time to even do podcasts, let alone just sit down and listen to a speech like of that magnitude, right? So, you know, we've set up the we we've set it up now on the podcast where we've got a Facebook page and a group attached to that page, right? So, and we've getting people to starting to like the page, which is good. We're hoping that translates to more people listening to the podcast, so on and so forth, and and more social media interaction. We also have a Twitter account uh, at it's at moment Eric, and uh, the M and the E uh, are capitalized. I guess that makes a difference. I don't know. That's the way it pops up. Um so and then we didn't really get a choice on that either. That just automatically came with it. Anyway. So um if you if you have heard the speech already, um and you've had a chance to process it and everything because it happened Saturday on the 4th, uh, July. Just, um, you know, engage in one of those social media outlets and kind of let me know is this something we need to talk about because uh, I'm going to listen to it anyway and I probably will talk about it anyway, but it's something we'll trigger But uh, in the speech. But I, if if y'all heard something, feel free to use any one of those social media platforms I just mentioned. Uh, the Facebook page or the group. Um, because a group we can kind of have a you know, page, we just kind of want to post certain things, you know, if we have an event or anything, like for example, a Facebook live deal or uh, actually going to be in a public place. yeah know, I really ain't got to that stage yet, but I'm, you got to be prepared, right? You got to set everything up. Uh, but the group is kind of like designed for us to have these more intimate conversations, right? Um, but anyway, um, so if y'all if if you listen to the speech, and you had a chance to process it, um, and you think there's something in the speech that we need to talk about? You know, let me know through the group. It's the moment with Eric Fleming podcast. That's the page and uh, the group is the moment Eric Fleming podcast too. Not really that creative. Anyway, so, but that's just another side too. Here's what I want to talk about. And we'll definitely get more into that on the other side. But a couple of things happened in the business community. One that was pretty well documented. The other one kind of may have slipped under the radar. So let's deal with the one that everybody is talking about, at least to some informed people in uh, social media circles. Um, So the president of Goya Foods was invited to the White House for an event highlighting hispanic businesses entrepreneurship, and it's like the largest hispanic owned business in the United States, goya foods. It's a family company um the guy who is the current president is the grandson of the founder uh and I can't pronounce his name uh Yuan Deun. I don't know. His first name is Robert. So basically, he was on the podium with the president and saying how the president was really a great guy and, you know, he really appreciated the opportunity to be a part of recognizing Hispanic businesses and. You know, it's dropped a lot of platitudes, which is really proper to do if the President of the United States invite you to even this president invite you to the White House. Yeah. The issue is, however, the president of Goya Foods, his parents and his grandparents before him, are of Mexican descent. Not just any Latino nation, Mexican. And I believe it was on an escalator at the Trump Tower when Donald and his wife, Melania, descended from that escalator. I believe that same moment, he said something about Closing the border with Mexico and that because the people there are rapists. They have thrown in drug dealers. I'm not sure. Remember the rapist thing. So people are kind of upset at the view that the largest Latino-owned company in the United States especially a Latino of Mexican descent, would do anything photo op-wise, whatever, platitude-wise, whatever, with this particular president based on his opening remarks. This wasn't like somewhere down the campaign, you know, and they talked about immigration and he threw that answer out. This was the very, this was to kick the campaign off This was the very first thing he said. Well, not the exact first thing. I think he said he was running for president. But then, somewhere in that initial press conference, he mentioned something about closing the border because he didn't want Mexicans to come in because they're rapists. Or something to that effect. I mean, so much has gone on yeah, my memory might be shot from four years ago. right? Five, actually. So, people are not happy. And that includes my friends on black Twitter. And they started a campaign on Twitter to boycott Goya Foods. As a matter of fact, it's hashtag Goya Way. Right? Goya Way. Now, the President, Robert, he came on Fox to defend his appearance there at the presidential event touting Hispanic businesses. He felt that he didn't need to apologize for that. But then he was on Fox News and he dropped the O word on Fox News. Yeah. He said Obama on Fox News. He said that when President Obama and the First Lady invited him to two different events, he showed up at both of those. And his basic defense was that if the President of the United States calls you, you go. That was his defense, and 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 that's not necessarily. A bad thing. If you're proud to be an American, regardless of your political affiliation, if the president of the United States invites you to the White House, yeah, I've been there. I've, I've, I've been in that position, me personally, where it's like you get the invite to the White House. I mean, my situation was. I hadn't been on my new job a week, and I'm like going, hey guys, I'm going to need a couple days off. I got invited to the White House for a meeting. I was specifically asked to show up. Needless to say, I had to do something on behalf of that organization. Uh, to get to go. Nonetheless, I get what Robert is saying, right? I get that. The President of the United States says, you need to come. I'm inviting you to come. You're compelled to go. I mean, you know, the athletes, right? We've seen this drama play out before, but the athletes are like, they once win the championship, you know, it used to be you win the Super Bowl, you're going to Disneyland, but you're also going to the White House, too. And then that got to be a problem. Cause, and then it all started, everybody said it started with Trump. No, it actually started with Obama because there were some athletes, you know, all little slick little way, saying "No, I'm not going to take that picture with Obama. Won the championship. Don't want to be what? Kind of made a team decide that they wanted to let a guy go who helped him win a championship because he snubbed the president. They will deny that. But it's like, how do you go from like, the best, one of the best players on the team to like, yeah, you're tradable. And it's like your skills haven't declined at that point, right? not like you've been in the league for 900 years. You understand what I'm saying? Well, maybe you don't. It's a sports thing, but I'm just saying there were some repercussions behind that snub. So, You know, so it's not... And actually, I'm sure there were some athletes that are really, really pained that didn't want to go to previous presidents before Obama and Trump. I mean, it may have been some protesting going on during the Bush presidency. I have to go back and look. But I think it was. Which meant that once the tradition started as far as inviting championships teams to the White House, there may have been some reluctant participants based on their politics, their schedule, whatever they had going on. They did the snub thing, right? And we, you know, the Golden State Warriors, one two championships and attend either time the White House. The whole team just said no. Uh And, you know, that was in their right too. As a matter of fact, I really felt good about that. That they did that. Because they, as a team, had been very vocal. I I believe, and it may not have been them, it may have been LeBron, but it was, I believe the comment was directed toward Shut Up and Dribble was directed toward them. It might have been LeBron. Initially, but I think they've used that on them too. And so, it's not abnormal for People to, because of some concerns about some policies that the president is advocating, current or past, that they've decided, "Ah, I'm not going to participate in that photo op. Don't necessarily need that shot next to that guy, right? So that's the argument that Black Twitter and other people are saying. Including Julian Castro, who really hit home and said, Goya Foods has been a staple in my family household for generations. And now, I'm down with boycotting them. So there's that. Right? Uh, so you got the push to boycott Goya Foods, which makes a variety of food products, especially canned goods, seasonings, all that kind of stuff. Good stuff. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Um. Because it was like, this was really pushed by black Twitter, but I really didn't hear or see any backlash in the Latino community about this guy. And as days and all this stuff goes on, maybe, you know, there'll be some responses and I just have to pick up on it, you know? So that's one thing. And so it kind of goes with this other story real quick about Ford Motor Company. Now, Ford Motor Company has Been in the news about whether they were willing to help out with the PPEs or any of the ventilators and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they kind of were reluctant to reopen the plants. So, but in recent days, the workers, especially the African-American union workers at Ford, were petitioning the owners, especially Bill Ford, to stop selling, and the CEO of the company, to stop selling police cars to local municipal police departments. They have, they were asking them to stop doing it. And Ford, the CEO, pretty much told the workers, yeah, we're not going to do that. One of the arguments that the workers were making was that based on total sales for Ford, that even though they are the largest seller of police vehicles in the United States, and I don't know where they rank in the world, but definitely in the United States, they're number one with their police interceptor model, which replaced the Crown Vic, oh, the Crown Vic. Anyway, um, despite being the number one seller, it's only like 1% of their sales. So the workers were saying, hey guys. We need to stop making these cars. Now, why would Ford employees be admonishing or asking their boss to stop making police interceptor cars? Turns out that one of the customers and the vehicles you see in the tragic video of George Floyd are Ford Police Interceptors. And, uh, yeah. So the workers felt, yeah, do we really want to have that moment again? Well, you probably are. I mean, regardless of whether you make an interceptor or not, if Ford is the leading sales force, car dealership, car manufacturer for police vehicles in the United States, then unfortunately, I believe, and I'm not being a harbinger or anything, but there's going to be some other bad video of police officers doing something totally immoral and and dangerous. And there's going to be a Ford police interceptor in the background. I mean, that's just a reality, regardless of whether you stop doing it or not. But the response from Ford, kind of like, Let's talk about it on the other side. And uh, we're back. So, as I was saying, Ford was asked by its workers of color, to stop making and selling police interceptors to local police departments across the United States. And we highlighted that Ford is the number one seller of police vehicles in the United States. But it only makes up 1% of their total sales. Um, So... if they complied, it would not be that big of a sacrifice, financially. Um, But the CEO of Ford basically gave his answer and he basically said that we are still committed to the Black Lives Matter cause. And it is a philosophy of ours that black lives do matter. But, and yes, there is a but, but um, we also believe that law enforcement is good and that anything we can do because it's not really about the money for us. Anything that we can do to help provide law enforcement to keep all communities safe, we're down with that, including being the number one seller of police cars. Which now leads me to what I really wanted to talk about. Now that I've talked about these two things. And as a black person, I understand why black people would be upset. um, With those two particular stories. But. While we are pushing people to understand that black lives matter and we need to be, and I'm going to continue to preach this sermon, we need to be better practitioners of that philosophy. If black lives matter, then eight-year-old children don't get gunned down in the middle of a major city. Sixteen year olds walking home from school doesn't don't get hit by straight bullets. Who were intended for another human being to die? You don't kill people because they have achieved this success or fame, just to rob them. And it's one thing to take their material possessions, but you take their life. And these are black folks doing that to black folks. Got to keep that real. So we need to be better practitioners of black lives mattering, right? Because we also need to be a practitioner of black-on-black love. We have to love ourselves. And if we love ourselves, then our lives have meaning in our community even more so. Because like I talked about before, we are communal by nature. Right? That rugged individualism stuff. That ain't really what we're about. We understand the collective. We understand that we, we operate better in the collective, but the collective gets narrow, which is kind of a kind of an oxymoron with us because we we have conflicts in our community because we don't trust each other we're communal, but we don't trust each other. So if people that don't trust each other are in each other's face, there's going to be conflict at some point. And instead of having some factor to mitigate the conflict, it's basically when you put all of that in conditions that not exactly ideal, um, not Quality neighborhoods, not houses that have a low market value, schools, because the houses have low market value, they have low assessments and the school gets less dollars than they should. But since most of these areas we're talking about are in big cities, the pool for the property taxes and the millage and all that stuff is bigger to work with. So you manage even with some pain. Budget. Terry Payne. Right? But the previous two stories reminds us that at some point black dollars matter Now, There was supposed to be, we had the social media blackout. Everybody participated in that. Some degree of fashion. It seemed like most of the people that I follow on social media that I ran into, there's a lot of people that participated in the blackout on social media. Right? But when they were asking for the blackout economically, that just kind of went in and out and wasn't wasn't any real fanfare behind that. Because the black dollar is really that valuable. See, what what these companies are really trying to convey to you when they use the slogan Black Lives Matter they really are saying black dollars matter. And so a lot of the ad campaign that went on right after the Floyd murder and in the midst of the protests, you know, came a barrage of ads from major corporations saying black lives matter. But why do black lives matter to corporate America? Well, workforce is kind of a thing. It used to be the thing, right? Because you got to labor for free. Now that you got to pay, not so much the thing. Besides, the biggest employer of black people in the United States is government, whether it's federal, state, county, municipal the biggest employer of black people in the United States is government. So it's not really a workforce issue per se. It's a consumer issue. You heard me say it before. especially if you're in my inner circle, but I've mentioned, I've said it on the podcast, that public policy is driven by capitalism in the United States. It should be solely based on what the preamble says, right? It's either going to be a bill that deals with individual liberty or deals with the general welfare, right? Which one's going to benefit? And for the most part, most legislation is, but the the wheel that, well, the, the lubricant that greases the wheel, let me put it that way, is capitalism. If businesses in America said that we don't care how much money black people have. We don't want them showing up at our restaurants. We don't want them showing up at our stores. We don't even really want them showing up at any of our churches. I mean, they got churches and funeral homes and their own businesses kind of go to. the society we live in dictates that capitalism drives policy. So the main mover of the civil rights legislation behind the scenes, of course, was the Chamber of Commerce types. And the actual CEOs of corporations can you call your senator yeah we need you to support this one this is going to help us on the bottom line that's how they have to have a conversation with some of these legislators Because they got tired of being targets of protest, too. How how effective advertising are you going to have? Now, if you just wanted to cater to white folks, which most folks did, they got by with that. But what do you think your image is going to be like where a black customer sits at a counter and the next thing you know they got ketchup and flour and sugar and all this stuff on them? male and female, after being threatened for the authorities to come. And in some cases, the authorities do. And it just all depends. Sometimes the authorities join in the fray. Sometimes the authority guided these people out to safety and reminded them, you cannot come through the front door. Right? So those people who understood that that black man and that black woman symbolized two opportunities to make money, and especially when they realized, like, hey, the black community has been spending money within the black community pretty much since the end of slavery. But we know they kind of like some of our stuff. Now, black folks sell food. They provide funeral services. They have liquor stores. And they have other businesses too. But It used to be that everything was self-contained, right? Now, not really. Especially thanks to the internet, right? Not really. I don't have to go to your store now. I can just order it online. Are you really going to try to figure out what race I am as I'm clicking this this mouse or just tapping on my phone to to purchase this item? Is that where you really want to go? Just saying. And most capitalists did not. And so during the 60s, especially 64, they were like, yeah. we need to get this done. You're looking at them as Former slaves. <laughs> You're looking at these people as second-class items. We're looking at them as first-class dollars. So what I I want to stress to you and understand, if you get nothing else from the podcast today, is that black dollars matter. I don't know if I want the Ford Motor Company making decisions about the betterment of my life. I'm glad Netflix has decided to commit one hundred million dollars toward Black Banks. I'm, I'm actually ecstatic about that. And you know, it's it's cool to see these different companies saying Black Lives Matter, and you know, and everybody trying to take down these symbols. I think it's great, but just like we need to be cognizant of the fact that if we're going to tell the world that Black Lives Matter, we got to show it, we tell the world, and they already know that Black Dollars Matter, then we have to show it or remind them as well. So, my thing is, I think black people can have a boycott on GP. I don't think you really have to be reactive to a certain moment that happens in the midst of craziness. Although, it is totally totally understandable to see how that particular event triggered something in all of us. Anyway. Bottom line is we, we gotta we gotta we got to uh We got to value our money, (laughs) like I said. If we're we're going around saying that Black Lives Matter, then we we got to value life in our community. We have to value money in our community, as far as the power goes, right? You know, you need tools. Walmart's got them, Home Depot's got them, Lowe's got them. Question you need to ask is there anybody African American that owns a hardware store? Not necessarily a chain franchise kind of thing, but they own it. Right? how those black dollars are making sense, right? And they talk about, you know, for every black business that that you patronize in, you need to get seven of your friends to patronize that business too, to help that business grow, expand, and be vital contributors in the community, right? Um and there's a number of organizations that Throughout the country, they're really advocating that, right? And you just got to tap into it. There's plenty of black businesses out there may not be one for a particular thing you're looking for on a particular day. There's plenty of black things out there. And there should be plenty more, right? Because we got to get into if black dollars really matter, black lives really matter, then how are we going to do this credit score thing again? How are we going to get people access to capital that need it? Some of these black folks own stock. Some of these black folks have created a business that sells stocks. Even if you don't buy the product, if you buy the stock, you're helping to them capitalize, which means that they have money invested. So they don't have to take out a loan. Or if they do take out a loan, they can take out the loan they want because they have assets. Um, So, you know, it's just one of those things where we get upset about CEOs of corporations that are not controlled by us. And and I just really wish that we could decide amongst our leadership class what to do we've We've got to put an emphasis somehow some way in the midst of all of this chaos got to put an emphasis on black people and their multi-trillion dollar spending power and somehow some way within the next 20 years flip the numbers around when i say flip the numbers around so right now of these trillions of dollars is staying in the black community. Seven. Which means that 93% is gone. Which is the reason why capitalism directs public policy because as long as we were segregated white folks were not getting that money. not as much as they could, definitely not directly, right? Because if a black person owned a wholesale place, right, a warehouse where black grocery stores could get their commodities to sell or what have you, right? But if you're depending on the very people who want to limit your access to things to get resources from, it's kinda of, kinda be of, kinda of tough. Kind of tight. Don't be upset. Well, I take that back. You can be upset. Don't be upset and surprised that these companies and many others like them said some things, tried to invoke some things through memory, but they really weren't down for the cause, right? And the toughest thing to organize, you know, people say the toughest thing to organize is like registering to vote. No, the toughest thing to organize is the boycott because people want to spend their money. Black folks want to spend the money the way they want to spend it. They don't want you Negro in charge to tell me how to spend my money. You know, last was it last year, year before last, whatever the Gucci did the design with the black face on it? Y'all yeah, remember that, right? And so all these artists like Nicki Minaj and Tia and a few others were like saying, Yeah, we're not gonna buy Gucci. But they were having a moment. Because the people that they sell records to ain't buying Gucci either. <laughs> They could afford it. Yeah, they could afford the Gucci stuff. But me, Joe Blow citizen. Yeah, we boycotted kind of Gucci. You've been boycotting Gucci for years. Cause you ain't had the money. Right? In, in in wrapping this up right, because you really can't flesh out everything that needs to be fleshed out and all the systemic problems right it's it's gonna take time multiple discussions about it. but I do want people to understand that there's a correlation between black dollars mattering. And Black Lives Mattering. A friend of mine wrote a book from Civil Rights to Silver Rights, right? That was kind of the direction Dr. King was going when he got killed. So, it's not one or the other, is what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So we got to be supportive. We got to look out for each other. And we got to find ways to supply our black businesses without paying so much overhead to get those supplies. So much... Of the capital you want to invest in your business, well, not only that, you know you're competing with you and all that too, so it is what it is. We just gotta start focusing in on chewing gum and walking at the same time. we got to focus in on. Black lives mattering in front of police officers and in front of our neighbors, at our churches, at our schools, at our shopping centers. Black lives matter. Oh, did I mention churches? Yeah. We got to show it. And we got to show it in a direct corollary way with our black dollars mattering and making the most out of that. CJ Walker did it. Gaston did it. Tons of people, but now it's it's our turn, and we gotta we gotta make this work using all the resources, all the tools that are at our disposal, tools and and tools that was not there for us are there now, are here now. And we got to, we just got to make that happen. Because once you realize that my life matters, right? That's when we really can have some dialogue because you've already made the assessment of my money matters. So let's flip that. Say... White folks, your money matters, and black folks are like, "Do you want to patronize here?" Well, first of all, black folks ain't gonna act like that. If you if you're white, you're black, you're orange, you're green. If you show up at a black business, especially a restaurant, they gonna take care of you. They're not gonna tell you you come to the back door or none of that. No. They might have you sitting by the window, as a matter of fact, to lure other people. Not black to come on in All right anyway, before I go off on another tangent and lose any more thought, I keep coming back to Black Lives Matter. then stop looking at it as black dollars matter. We need both. But we need black dollars mattering in our own defined way. Patronizing our businesses as much as possible. Right? Supporting our institutions. Because, yeah, black folks have institutions. And the only way you can truly protect them is capital. And that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. Until next time.